I'm excited to preach this message. So if, you, if you're new with us, we're doing a three-part series uh, just to kind of set us in the right direction for the year. Last week was Love God. Today will be love your neighbor, and next week will be love one another. I think if we just do those three things, we'll be okay for 2023, right? <clears throat> but I want to talk to you today about this very, <clears throat> maybe the most well-known commandment, really, in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this, you know, to uh, think about MLK, this was probably the essential message of MLK, that if we could just do this one great commandment of Jesus, uh, wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't society be more peaceful? Uh, wouldn't everybody just get along? Wouldn't there be so much more harmony if we could love one another? The word neighbor, love your neighbor, uh, can be taken both literally and in a, in a general sense. Okay, our neighbors are the people who live next door to us or on our street, in our apartment complex. Um, in our case, my wife and I, we live on a cul-de-sac. So, you know, especially the three houses on the left and the three on the right, that's kind of really like our direct neighbors. Anne-Marie, right to the left, Mike, um, Tammy, Elizabeth, Yvonne, Rich, Ed and Audrey, Brian, Donna, Katie, and Sarah, those, those are our neighbors that we uh, think about a lot, we are trying to get to know um, as best as possible. Um, especially during the pandemic, I think, did something to draw, I don't know if you experienced this, but to draw neighbors together. Uh, there was something about just being isolated. You know, a lot of people working at home had more uh, margin in our schedules. Uh, maybe more needs, and so connections happened. It made me appreciate my neighbors more just going through the pandemic. But our neighbors also, in a general sense, are the refugees from Afghanistan uh, who maybe live in Providence or Cranston or whatever um, in different neighborhoods, not right next door, but they are our new neighbors uh, who are here. Um, our neighbors are, you know, in greater Providence. They could be the atheists. They could be uh, students from Brown University or RISD or Providence College. It could be uh, Muslims who live, you know, wherever uh, spread around or people from different religions, uh, black and white and brown and every kind of ethnicity. We have it all, really, here um, in Providence. Uh, those we have much in common with, uh, sort of our favorite people, um, those are our neighbors and people that we maybe don't like so much or don't have much in common with at all. Uh, those are our neighbors as well. Um, the full orb of interesting people and with all their different lifestyles, these are, these are our neighbors. There's over a million people in the state of Rhode Island, this tiny little state that we live in. It takes like 30 minutes to go from like one end to the other, pretty much. Depends on how fast you drive. But, um, you know, it's a tiny state. One point, I think 1.2 million or 1.1 million people in this state. These are our neighbors. Well, this familiar command to love your neighbor as yourself, just five words, tells us not only what to do, right, to love our neighbor, but tells us to what degree 
we should do it. It says, as yourself. So what does that mean? The two additional words, as yourself, uh, they're kind of haunting, aren't they? Like, what does it mean? Well, it means that we should love our neighbors with the same intensity as we love ourselves. Consider how much we naturally care for ourselves, right? If we're in danger, we will go to great lengths to get out of danger. If we're out in the wild freezing, we will uh, labor to figure out how to make a fire and how to keep warm, how to get shelter. If we're shipwrecked and stranded, we would spend every waking moment figuring out how to survive. Well, just naturally, whether we're an intense person or not, we just, we just kind of do that. There's like an instinct, a survival instinct. And of course, lots of movies have been made right out of this concept because it's so fascinating right? Just the, the, the human survival instinct and how intense it can be. Because, you know, we naturally just care about our well-being. That's not a bad thing. We should care for ourselves. Um, we will pretty much spend whatever time, energy, and money it takes for the sake of our well-being. So God is saying we should love our neighbors like that. Whew, that's a tall order, right? That's a high standard. The ultimate expression of loving your neighbor would be, of course, to lay down your life. I was just daydreaming. I was imagining what if, you know, imagine if our country was invaded and one person from each neighborhood was randomly selected to be killed unless someone stepped forward and volunteered to die. Well, it would be a beautiful act of neighbor love to be the one that volunteers to die. Some of you I know are thinking of the Hunger Games. <laughs> Katniss volunteering for Prim. All right, here are two passages to anchor our message today. One from the Old Testament and one from the New. This is from... Don't often preach from this book, but Leviticus chapter 19, verses 13 to 18 says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. That's a good one right there. Lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then in the New Testament, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked, them, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's interesting. I feel like there's some misunderstanding there because he says the second is this. It sounds like, like the second greatest commandment, right? You know, we should love God. And then after loving God, we should love our neighbor. You know, that's like kind of number two, love God, God first, uh, people second, you know, that kind of thing. But actually he, he puts them in the same, in the same category, doesn't he? Uh, there is no commandment greater than these, these two, love God, love your neighbor. They're just so interwoven with one another. In fact, we could probably go so far to say you only love God as much as you love your neighbor, right? Because whatever we do to our neighbors, we're really doing to Jesus, right? Matthew 25. I'm guessing most of us have experienced cliques in grade school, right? Uh, maybe you didn't, I don't know. But I grew up in the 70s and 80s in Western Mass in an era when cliques were alive and well. There were the jocks, the popular girls, the computer kids, the outcasts, the A-plus students, the burnouts, the punk rockers, and a massive group of just average kids. You're probably wondering which clique I was in. I'm not going to tell you, all right? <laughs> But think Breakfast Club if you've seen that movie. Warning, if you haven't seen, don't run out and see it. There's like 50,000 swear words in that movie. But if you can handle that, it's an interesting movie. If you were an average kid who didn't stand out because, you know, you got in fights every week or had a mohawk or you were in a band or a star football player or whatever, you would be pretty much invisible. The kids who were members of these cliques could pass you in the hall or sit next to you in a class and they would make absolutely no effort whatsoever to get to know you. Why? Because, you know, they had better people to know. Right? They had their people. Like their clique. From their standpoint, you might as well have been a poster on the wall. You're just nothing. In fact, if you... Uh, if you disappeared, if you moved to another town, uh, they wouldn't care at all. They might not even notice, right? Now you think that's pretty terrible, right? And I'm sure none of us did that when we were in grade school. Come on, bunch of liars. <laughs> Maybe, you know, some, uh, some of us were in those cliques where we just, you know, treated other people as invisible. But the thing is, we're not talking about grade school cliques um, because we can easily fall into this habit of doing really the same thing to our neighbors who live around us. Um, we can neglect them. We can kind of like treat them as invisible. You know, we see them, but we don't really see them. They're like part of the landscape. You know, the trees and the houses and the stone wall and there's, you know, Jimmy, the neighbor, and okay, whatever. It's just, you don't even... No interest in them. You know, we aren't curious about them. We don't know their name. Uh, we park our, our cars and, and scurry into our houses. And it's really easy for us to fall into, as, as Christians, into kind of a, almost a clique. Um, 
But God does not call us to this kind of isolation, right? Uh, He does not want us as Christians to associate exclusively with Christians. Not at all. Because he, of course, set the example for us. We're called to be like Jesus. And we know that Jesus was a friend of all different kinds of people. And in fact, Scripture says he was a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors who were kind of a despised clique, you know, um, irreligious people, prostitutes. Jesus did not ignore his neighbors. He embraced them, all of them, the poor, the rich, the religious elite, the beggars, the lepers, the men, the women, the children, Jews and non-Jews, Roman soldiers and swearing fishermen. Jesus spent time with them. He ate with them. And he is our great example. Now, habits are strange things. It's been said that humans are creatures of habit, right? We like our little routines. Um, You know, once we get our routines down, don't mess with them. Like, don't get in my way. Don't get in the way with my routines because we kind of just like things to be done a certain way. But if our habit is to neglect our neighbors, that's a habit we need to, we need to ruthlessly break in 2023. Because the neighbors around us are made in God's image. Right? They're precious in God's sight. And the word of God says that it's not God's will for any to perish. God's love extends to all. God desires all. God longs for all. And by the way, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, we're, we're kind of like conduits, right? We're messengers. We're the reconcilers. He wants to send his love, stream his love, and maybe eventually his message through us. Uh, so our neighbors around us, like God wants to display his love through us to them, to spread everywhere the knowledge of Christ. So if we don't display, this is a little, little punch right now, okay? But if we don't, for all of us, if we don't display the love of Jesus to our neighbors around us, who will? Like, think about this. We just kind of, sometimes when you're part of something big, even when churches get big, when church, I loved when the church was 23 people, right? Because it's like, everybody's doing something. As soon as the church hits 100, then it's like, well, I don't got to do anything because I'm sure it'll get done. Somebody will do it. I don't have to do it. And we kind of defer responsibility, you know, when things get big. But listen, If we don't reach our neighbors and the people that God has put us around, who's going to do it? You know, are we really planning on standing before God one day and just saying to him, oh my goodness, I was so busy. I didn't have any time for my neighbors. And I think he would say, you have completely missed the point. We are here for our neighbors, right? Yes, we're here for each other. We're here for church. We're here for fellowship. But listen, we're going to do this worship and fellowship for eternity. In this lifetime, in this body, we are on a mission. We have been given an assignment from Jesus to love our neighbors, to go into all the world and make disciples and love people and serve people and display God's goodness. 
to as many as possible. I think of that proverb, rescue the perishing and save those staggering toward death. That could mean in a literal sense, people who are physically in danger or sick or whatever, but also in a spiritual sense, there are people on a trajectory. They don't realize that many people just, they're just walking down a path, not realizing they're heading to an eternity that is without God. And so it is our responsibility to try to get to know people and love them and, and soften them in different ways by our kindness or by our words. Now, one of the reasons we ignore neighbors is that we think, okay, we think they want nothing to do with Jesus. So why bother trying to build friendships with them? It's reasonable, right, to think right like that. You know, but, but the, the problem is we're, we're assuming we know their heart. We do not know people's hearts. What people project outwardly is often very different from who they are inside. Many people living in America have grown up in church but have gotten away from it. And they might not tell you that. You know, I've, I've talked to people, I've built friendships, and then it comes out, you know, months after that, oh, <laughs> they grew up in the church. I didn't even know that. You know, th these kind of people may be comfortable talking about faith, even if we just met them. There are others who come from other countries who may have no understanding at all of Christianity. They might be curious to learn, even if we don't know them well. And we could call these folks visibly ripe, or sometimes I like to call them low-hanging fruit, right? Sometimes, isn't it? It's great. You know, once in a while, I just, you know, you... you meet somebody, and it's like almost instantly, they're like, oh, really? You go to church? Oh, wow. What's that all about? Oh, how did you, you know, get the cry? I just met the guy five minutes ago, and he's like, oh, how did you, how did you become, you know, like religious or spiritual? And I'm like, is he really asking this question? This is incredible. This never happens. <laughs> so that's kind of like low-hanging fruit. And these are the ones who will probably respond to an invitation to come to a Sunday service or a special event at the church. And I think that much of the effort that churches make is to go after this uh, kind of low-hanging fruit. I believe, however, I want you to really hear this, I believe, because this is a big part of why we started this church 20 years ago. There is another segment of society that we could call the hidden ripe these are the ones who outwardly don't appear open to the message of Christians, but who deep down long to be at peace with God. They want to know God, but they don't trust Christians. Maybe they know too much. Maybe they've heard too much. They've read about scandals and crazy things and abuses, or they've even experienced hypocrisy. They may even be victims of sexual abuse in a church when they were kids or whatever. Uh, they could have watched like one of their parents or family members get sucked into some really weird expression, toxic, cultish expression of church. There's so many different reasons why people get to a place where they have sort of an outward resistance to Christianity. Or they've been profoundly influenced by current popular thought that Christianity is outdated, untrustworthy. They could be critics 
loud critics of Christianity. And the plain reality, listen, is that a huge portion of society in New England will not come to a church service to hear the gospel. Now, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know. This is the truth. But don't assume that they don't want to be reconciled with God. They certainly won't let a stranger preach the gospel to them. Some won't even come near a church because they have so much guilt or shame or they smell like alcohol or they have no decent clothes. They think they have to dress up for church. They didn't get the memo from us that you don't have to dress up. But, you know, some have criminal backgrounds. They just feel embarrassed or whatever. You know, like one girl, I remember, I'll never forget. She said, oh, if I go to your church, I'll burn it up, you know, because she's so full of hell or whatever. I don't know what her point was exactly, but just there's no way I could set foot in, in, your, in your church with all these nice people who, but it's a real thing that holds people back. But I'm convinced that multitudes of these people who appear outwardly uninterested in Jesus are secretly longing to be found. Now to find the hidden ones It takes patience and discernment. Who's up for it? The secretly ripe often will not listen to our message until trust is established. And in fact, it may take a thousand kindnesses to get to a point before they open up. Until they know we're genuine through and through, they just aren't going to engage in deep spiritual conversation with us. Most of our effort to reach the hidden ripe ones is the work of just living a good life amongst them, a good and beautiful life before them, being honest, being humble, just being normal, uh, just caring, just showing concern, being a good listener, being generous, being thoughtful. Uh, they will not be reached by just coldly giving them the gospel message. Again, there are exceptions. Some people you can, you meet them for, you just met them 60 seconds ago and you're just preaching the word to them and they're like, yeah, wow, this is incredible. They're receiving it. That is not typical. That's why we just can't go out and just, just you know, try to shove, you know, the, the gospel down people's throat. There's a lot of baggage that people have. We need to give people space and room to process. We need to kind of get to know people. I mean, think about it. We want to talk to somebody about one of the most, the, probably the most personal thing in the world, their relationship with the creator, their relationship with God, what they think about God. Am I really going to come along and I expect them to open up about that? And I just met them three minutes ago. Again, there are exceptions. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just does stuff. We can always be open, but we need to, we need to wait yeah, till that moment comes. And you know what I've noticed as I've slowed down? Because I used to be, I'll just confess, I used to be one of those Christians. Oh my gosh, I was a terror. You would, I was terrible. I, I just, that's what I thought you were supposed to do. So in the first like several years, I mean, I didn't wait 
tell you finish. What's your name? I didn't even get let you finish the sentence before I'm telling you about Jesus. You know, I'm telling like you. You got to know this and like, and I'm just preaching to everybody. You know, would love street ministry. Go out there. How many? Let's see if I can talk to 50 different people tonight about the gospel. And I just like drove people crazy. I remember doing it on Thayer Street. I mean, it was terrible. I was like, you know, zealot Bible student. And if somebody's like, yeah, I don't, I really want to talk about that. And I'm like following them. But why? <laughs> But why? Let's talk about it. Like, what? What's wrong? What are you gonna do? And I'm like, literally, fine. and they're like, just would you go away? And then I'm like, yeah, I just got persecuted for the gospel. <laughs> like, I am not even exaggerating. Okay, I was terrible, terrible Christian. No, I was a good Christian, but I just had a lot to learn about how. To, I remember always watching my friend from Ireland. You know, we'd go out to Thayer Street, and you know, I was like talking, having these little tiny conversations with everybody, you know, like badgering people. It probably was like a big clanging symbol out there. And, and my, my friend from Ireland, Patrick O'Loughlin, he would just be like talking with one person like all night long. Just I remember him just sitting like this and just listening, just listening to people's story. And I'd be like, I had talked to him. I'm on my 47th person of the night. And he's still like, you know, just, wow, yeah. And I didn't get it. But he was doing the right thing, just listening, just loving people. It takes time to build bridges of trust into people's lives. And we have to invest that, that time. And is, there, is it a risk? I mean, what if we invest all this time and then somebody doesn't have any interest even at the end of their life? It's okay. It's okay. I mean, hopefully God's leading us and you know, gives us discernment and stuff. But that's fine. That's fine. We're, we're doing what God has called us to do. We, we don't know exactly who, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes I've invested hard and long in people and then they just fade away or they didn't, I don't know. But seeds are planted. You just, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, somebody shared the gospel with me at 17 and then I don't like, like do it. Somebody shared with me at 19 for a while, like months, like poured into me, kind of discipled me. And then I just blew it off, went right back into drugs for another couple of years and never saw her again. And then at 21, I came to faith. So she, you know, for all she knows, she like poured into me for months and months and months, had me to her house. She was an older lady and just, you know, poured in and all this. And then I just didn't want it. I was like probably parable of the sower, you know, the, oh, receive the word with joy and then fall away. She has no idea that here I am 35 years later and I'm still serving God with all my heart. So you, you don't know. And I just want to rebuke that out of us. Don't assume that people don't have an interest in God. You don't know what's going on. And I, this is personal for me because that was me. I was like the poster child for resistance to Christianity. Like if you met me when I was 19, 20 years old, you would think that guy, let's just kind of stay away from him. Because he doesn't, you know, like swearing. I smelled like marijuana all the time. Like I would just argue vehemently against your Christian faith. I did not look open. I did not, you know, give you even a glimpse of my inner heart of what I was really thinking. And yet in secret, I was like, wow, I'm going to die. I got to figure out what's, you know, what's real. I got to figure out what's up there. I'm, I'm afraid to die. Like, I, I, I gotta, I, I, I wanna know, God, are you up there? You know, in so many words, I think my heart was saying that. God, who are you? 
what is this all about? I don't know about this church stuff. It's kind of weird, but I, you know, is there truth? To, is this, who's Jesus? I'm asking so many questions in my heart. And deep down, I, long, I want it to be at peace with God. Like I wanted to lay my head down at night, put my head on the pillow and just feel no guilt. Just feel that the creator of the universe had forgiven me. I didn't know how to find that. I wanted that. Listen, don't assume that you know what people are thinking. And sometimes, by the way, the people that are the most touchy about it, the most resistant, the most even angry about, you know, your message or just the fact that you're a Christian, sometimes it's because they're thinking about it so deeply and there's something inside of them. Again, don't assume. I'm just saying that happens to be a thing. Now, I will say that prayer is essential in loving your neighbors. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with God's empathy. There's something about praying for people consistently that sort of deepens our affections for them. I don't know how this works, but it's just it's what it does. I know because, listen, I live in Warwick, Okay, it's not far from here, 12, 15 minutes. But for 20 years, we've lived there. And for 20 years, we planted this church 20 years ago. For 20 years, I have kind of treated Warwick as just sort of the bed that I sleep in. You know, this is just uh, where we live. And I've treated my neighbors kind of as invisible, not terribly, but, you know, I'm, I'm like the friendly neighbor who waves and has little conversations once in a while. But I've kind of just, this has been my mission field. Providence and wherever the church is located in the neighborhoods around. I'm, I'm learning this. I'm learning. I need to, I need to, to love my neighbors. And I've been, so I've been starting by praying. Anything good comes from prayer, right? So I've been just doing these prayer walks and just walking around the neighborhood, just trying to get exercise and, and just walk. And every time I walk, I just pray for the neighbors. And I'm, I'm noticing my heart is getting bigger and bigger and bigger for the neighbors. And I'm thinking about them now. I'm like curious about, and God is opening doors. I mean, it's been crazy times that just like walk, I'm just go for my little walk and, oh, okay. You know, like right when I happen to be coming by and there's, you know, one of my neighbors comes out and it's just like God orchestrates this whole thing, you know, to, for me to have a conversation or meet some kind of need or whatever. Pray, don't underestimate that. Without the prayer, we're just, you know, it's a good thing to love our neighbors, but we're not going to have that, that depth and that, that potency that we need. Um, so my aim in this talk today really is to convince you that, uh, not to convince you that you should love your neighbor. Probably we all know, even unchurched people kind of realize that, right? We should probably love our neighbor, shouldn't hate your neighbor. But I want to inspire you and I want to motivate you. And I just want to leave you with some practical ideas. Um, to engage your neighbors because it doesn't happen magically. How many know that? You got to be intentional. You got to make room for it. You got to, like, like me, you got to step out instead of just like hiding in your house all the time, you know, being in my little bubble in, in my cul-de-sac. You got to just get outside. You know, you got to kind of go out there and just talk with people and just see what happens. Again, I'm not advocating for go and drive your neighbors crazy. And, you know, we have to, 
every neighborhood has like a, almost like a code of social ethics. Um, you know, I read somewhere or heard in a podcast or something that it was like some realty company or whatever did a study and they found out that what people really want in, in their neighbor is they want these, I think it was like three things. It was like they want them to be quiet, um, friendly, and I think safe or trustworthy. It's like, okay, that's fine. We can do that, right? But how many of we, you know, it kind of takes some, one person in the neighborhood to kind of push past that a little bit. Okay, is that really all we want? You know, I don't really think, I mean, that's kind of lame. So it's like, means we wave to each other. I mean, that's what, I'm just up here confessing. This message is to me. I've, that's been my relationship with some of my neighbors. We wave, we wave for 17 years, you know. Hi. You know, I don't hate you. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> not going to steal. I'm not going to rob you when you're on vacation. You know, that's about the extent of it, you know. But, and which is fine. And that's a starting place. Good to wave. But let's, let's push it. Let's push it further. Uh, let's ask God to open some doors. So I'm going to spend the last, I don't know, we'll see how long this goes. Ten, at least 10 more minutes. Um, and I just want to crack open some ideas uh, just to, this may overwhelm, I was thinking of this illustration of the pinata. Have you ever been to a birthday party where, you know, a kid hits the pinata and what is the goal, you know, to get as much candy as he possibly can? You're not going to get it all, all right? So I'm going to, I'm going to crack open the pinata right now of ideas. And so just hopefully you'll take away just a few Ideas: Three categories, people in your actual neighborhood, um, people gathered in existing spaces, and people gathered at spaces that we create. And this is just lists, all right? So the first the idea here in the first is uh, to find ways to connect with and be a blessing to your immediate neighbors. Um, one book, this book here that I read recently, it's awesome, called The Art of Neighboring. I encourage you to get it. Uh, recommends going from the backyard to the front yard. Hang out in the front yard. You know, wash your car, tend to the flowers, read a book in the front yard, have a picnic. My neighbors, Yvonne and Rich, they, they're so cute. They just, with their two boys, they come out and have like a full-blown picnic in the front yard. That sends a message to the rest of the neighbors, like, we're accessible. And I've gone over many times. When I've seen them, I've just kind of gone over and interacted with them a little bit. And they're like so happy to interact. Like they're doing the right thing. They're good neighbors. Walk Walk in the neighborhood. Walk your dog. Walk the baby. If you have a cute baby, you have the greatest evangelistic tool known to the Christian church, okay? I miss those days of having my little Madeline and Taylor because they were just so cute and you could just, oh, you know. It's just so easy to talk with people. Um, this is literally in my notes, wave. It's very New England, just, but just at least wave to people. Don't just drive by them if they're you know, in the front yard. This Christmas, first time ever, I probably freaked out some of my cul-de-sac neighbors, but I said, I'm, I'm baking cookies, okay? I don't even, this is the first time I've ever baked cookies, okay? <laughs> my wife was like, this is really ambitious. Like, I'm pulling out all these recipes, different kinds of, five different kinds of cookies, you know? I think they came out pretty good. But yeah, so I had like tin boxes, you know, with the cookies in them, and I wrote like a personal note to each family. It probably totally freaked out some of my neighbors. I didn't like preach to anybody. It was nothing about anything like that. But just 
uh, tried to love people and said, man, you know, the pandemic, basically in so many words, my letter was kind of like, wow, during the pandemic, it made me really appreciate how awesome our cul-de-sac is and, and, and just how, you know, how, how nice everyone is and friendly. And so, but it was, you know, I think it made a difference and I know it did because I got some, some good feedback. Um, but do whatever it takes, just be available. Like one of my neighbor uh, about a month ago, uh, called me up and said, you're never going to want to answer my phone call ever again. You know, I'm the worst neighbor ever. Can you come over and help me do this thing? I'm like, this is so great. I've been praying so hard for opportunities uh, to, you know, to serve neighbors. My cat died. Can you bury him in the backyard? Okay. And like where I had to dig the hole was like roots and everything. It took like forever. I'm like, this is, I'm a, I, I don't even know if I should, this is not even appropriate. But she, you know, I said, well, okay, I guess I've never, you know, wrap it in paper or something. And she came out and like the cat was like a lot longer than the piece of newspaper that she wrapped it in. I mean, it was like the head was hanging on one side, the tail on the other. And I'm like, you know, put it, sticking it. All right. It's just, but you know what? It turned out, it was a wonderful, we talked for like 45 minutes. She ended up coming to church, by the way, on, on Christmas Eve, which was really sweet. But um, anyway, so be willing to do whatever. Um, attend memorial services, even if you don't know, if like somebody dies in your neighbor and, you know, it's a spouse left behind, just go, just go. That means a lot to people. Um, these are just things that kind of relate to our neighborhood. Bring in trash barrels for people. If it snows in your neighborhood, get the heck out of bed. Now I'm saying this to me because it is so nice to just like, you know, I'm just going to wait till the end of the day to shovel. I'm going to stay in and just write all day and drink my coffee and looking out the window at all the people shoveling out there. <laughs> They're so dumb, you know. Um, now that's me in the flesh. Like it's, it's so, the times that I've been led by the spirit, you know, get out there and just get, because, you know, you have conversations with people and you can kind of help them a little bit because sometimes the plows like make these really heavy things at the end of the drive. Just come over there and just tear it up in Jesus name, you know, and, and just bless them. I'm telling you, some of the best connections with neighbors have happened on snow days. So be ready for those opportunities. Be home on Halloween. I don't like Halloween. I don't like Halloween either. Just, but just be home because it is the most incredible opportunity to connect with neighbors. Have lots of tiny conversations. Find ways to serve, like I said before. Uh, be generous. I mean, I think our neighbors have been generous to us. Like they put up a fence and we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we need, they had all these trees torn down and put up this beautiful fence and we were like, oh my gosh, we're pay we need to pay for that. We need to pay for half of that. We'll go in. And at the end of the day, they were like, no, we're not. You guys are young. You still have kids in college. This was a few years ago. You know, we're not, we're not, you're not paying anything. And so we, we just, they blessed us. They were being good neighbors in that sense. Uh, be thoughtful, you know, ask for help. It doesn't always have to be you helping others, but even ask for help. That builds connection. Uh, notice things that people do. It depends on your neighborhood, but some neighborhoods, like it's hard in our neighborhood trying to keep up with everyone. They're tiny houses, but everybody keeps them up really nice. And so, but you know, when people work hard on things or maybe they make some new improvement to their house, they like to hear, um, wow, that new little thing that you guys put, those new bushes that you put in, like those are awesome. Those are so cool. Or, you know, they, you know, uh, 
you know, paint, repainted the window trims or whatever, and just, just notice things, say something. You know, they, they just light up. They're like, ah, you know. <laughs> Somebody notices this hard work that, that we're, we're doing for our yard. If you want to take it to the next level, host a dinner. Now, this is breaking the New England code. You do not invite your neighbor to dinner. But maybe they'll say yes. <laughs> Just take the risk. You know, host, host something at your house. Um, you know, I think that the, just recently we were, we were driving out, the, out of the cul-de-sac and I saw out of the corner of my eye uh, the, this older couple and they were bringing in this wine refrigerator that looks pretty heavy and they're not, I mean, they're in good shape, but I was like, okay, pull over the car. Like, this is my opportunity. I've been thinking about this, praying about this stuff. And like, I run over, Audrey, let me take that from, I got, you know, and like, and she was like, oh, thank you so much. And, you know, so I was able to go into the house <laughs> and, uh, and they were so, they're so nice. You know, they were like, then Tiffany came over, oh, should I help too? And, and then, you know, before you know it, they're giving us the full tour. She's taking Tiffany down and showing her stained glass studio in the basement and all this stuff. And, oh, we'll have to get you over to our house and, you know, give you a tour of the renovation that we did recently, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. We got to break through. That's where we have to uh, ask God to kind of break some of this New England code that we can't go into each other's houses. Um, organize a neighborhood barbecue. You know, I think about this more from growing up. Be the house that has the fun stuff. Now, not all of us can do this, but some of us have the means to do this. And I think about this growing up in, in the neighborhood in Western Mass that I grew up in. Um, there were certain houses that had, had the pool. Like, everybody was there on hot days. Be the house that where the mom is like, man, she's always got good food going in the kitchen and she wants you to taste it and try it. And I was like, that's a fun house to be at. Like, that's a cool mom, all right? You know, be the house that has the fire pit, you know, the giant fire pit, and just, like, everybody goes over there and hangs out. You know, I had a friend who had a, a skating rink in the backyard. I mean, we, like, lived at his house, practically, um, in the dead of the winter, like, every day, playing hockey out there. Um, but, you know, we got to know the, the family really well. I could keep going with different ideas, but, you know, create things at your house that are kind of natural uh, fun things to do for the, for the neighbors. I think that's a good, that costs money to do some of those things, but I think it's a good investment. That's a good missional investment. Um, so yeah, so those husbands that might want to build like a pickleball court in your backyard, you can say to your wife, it's all for the mission of Jesus. <laughs> all right, I'm just gonna run through this real quick. People gathered at existing spaces. Just be aware of places where people already gather. All right? There's already people at Kennedy Plaza. There's already people at the soccer fields. You know, my dad was a coach of Little League. And, man, we got to know everybody, all the other families and all the little kids and stuff. Uh, my mom, you know, is like in this women's club right now. You know, just find out what's going on in your town, in your neighborhood, and just kind of be a part of things. Be a part of neighborhood associations. Max and Josie were saying they jumped into one of the neighborhood association meetings over in Connecticut. It's like there's already a crowd of people there that you can, you can just kind of step into that. There's cafes. There's places to eat. Um, I remember when we first started the church, remember we used to volunteer at the Rhode Island Film Festival. 
there was only like 30 people in our church. Almost everybody in the church volunteered at the fest, right? And there's like hundreds of people, thousands really, that come to the Rhode Island Film Fest. And we were like huge part of it. We're like, we were the volunteers, the greeters, running the projectors. I mean, we, we kind of did it all. But we didn't have to organize any of that, manage any of that. We just showed up and were a part of it. So many things that we've done like that. The Elmwood Community Center toy distribution, uh, the plant sale, care for the square, Trinity Square block party. Um, there's your local library has book clubs and all kinds of different events in Warwick. Man, there's a whole list of things that you can be involved in. Salvation Army has stuff. I preach at the rescue mission once a month. I don't organize it. I don't need to think about it. It's a half an hour. I just show up. There's about 80 people there who are just coming to hear a message right before dinner. And wow, it's easy, you know, and I'm able to connect. But third, and this will be my last point, people gathered at spaces that we create. Now we've created things here in our church building or other buildings, like the great art installations we've done that have drawn in hundreds of people. We've had refugee gatherings. We've had this thing called Dream Factory for Kids, Christmas Encounter for Single Moms, different aware, awareness events, concerts. Some of you have been around for a long time. We're always trying to think about ways to, you know, create environments, create events that, that will bring in people who are not necessarily Christian. And sometimes, yeah, I think, well, I should say a certain segment of culture will come into a church building if the environment is right. But here's my question. What about those who won't come to a church building no matter what kind of event it is? We can't forget about that segment of society. And that's why you've heard me say, and you'll hear more about this in the, in the days to come, we need to go outside the walls of the church and create things in neutral spaces in different geographic locations, in different neighborhoods, to make the gospel more accessible for people who are least likely to step foot into a church. I always use my own story as an example that I did not, I did not come to Jesus in a church. Um, I was eager to learn and to be reconciled with God, but I did not... I would not step into a church building. There's no way. I just wasn't open to it. I just was terrified, actually, of doing that. Um, but there were people who came to me. They created an environment of music. I love music. I'm a guitar player. You know, we were playing guitar together. This was like, all right, this is cool. This is, this is, my, this is my vibe right here. And they weren't too much pressure. They would, you know, kind of talk about the gospel a little bit here and there when I was ready over the course of many months. But they had the love and the patience to go outside the walls of the church and create something really just for me so that I could explore Christ and, and come to faith in that setting. And the question I leave you with is, will you, will I, make that effort to create spaces outside the walls of the church for people who are least likely to come in. I believe there's tens of thousands of people 
who are lost, who won't step into a church. And we can't be content to just, just let them go to hell. Who cares? You know, we're, we're going to go after the low-hanging fruit. Look, all, I mean, most churches go after the low-hanging fruit. For 20 years, we've always gone after the, the tough ones, the hard ones, the ones that are least likely to step foot, the marginalized ones. Let's not lose that call. Let's not lose sight of that. That's going to take more money, more work, more contacts with people. They're not going to, you know, share with you right away. It might take a long time to get to that point of building trust where they open up. But that's the, that's the call that God has put on this church community. And we're going to continue that call. In fact, I believe in 2023, we're going to push into that calling like, like we've never uh, done before. I'm excited. I can't stop thinking about it. I have so many ideas uh, brimming in my, in my heart and mind. So excited for it. So, yeah, come along for the ride. Thanks for listening. I know I preached super long today again. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm not succinct, all right? I'm a lot of things as a pastor, but one of them is not succinct. So that's what you get. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this call to love our neighbors. Or we don't know what, our do- what we're doing with this sometimes, but we know that you do. You, you know what it takes to, to kind of, you know, to show love to neighbors and to build connections and to build relationship. Lord, make us good at this. Um, it's a simple prayer, but I pray that you would make us good neighbors wherever you have placed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.